And as I said, we are going to read from God's Word now. You might want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. There's the reference on the screen, verses 37 to 49. Uh, This is a continuation of Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, uh, which you might recognise is fairly similar to his Sermon on the Mount in in Matthew's Gospel. And so we're continuing on reading what Jesus taught his disciples. So starting at Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who, who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Uh, A little intimidating being the only person up here and having you all out there, but God is gracious. Um, I wonder if there are any cricket fans here. Are you... Happy to put your hand up. Yeah, we've got some cricket fans here. Cool. Personally, I'm, I'm not a fan of the sport. For me, it's a little slow, but each to their own. Um, now, cricket is no stranger to, to controversy. Uh, actually, at the time of preparing this sermon, um, the controversy that I'm going to talk about here was the latest one, but that was a month ago. And since then, we've had the issues with, with Tim Payne. But you don't have to actually scratch the surface too much. Think body line, underarm bowling, Sandpaper gate, these things sound familiar. Cricket is a sport of controversy, but um, the controversy I want to talk about is um, about uh, this man up on the screen. Okay, 
Um, this is Quentin de Kock. Now, a recent movement in sport has involved high-profile sports people taking a knee for a few seconds uh, before the game starts to express uh, their solidarity with the message that there is no place for racism and discrimination, not just in sport, but in all spheres of life. And this is a really good message, and it's great that sports people um, are throwing their weight behind it. Now, about a month ago, uh, this guy, Quinton de Kock, uh, in a domestic game in South Africa, he, he chose not to take the knee with the rest of his teammates. And, and what a stir this created. The reaction in the cricketing world and beyond, it was huge. Straight away, people were, were calling him privileged and, and racially insensitive. Uh, people were so quick to judge to, sorry, to jump to a, a judgmental stance and condemn his actions as, as wrong. It was only later when he actually had the opportunity to explain um, himself, to explain the reasons behind his actions, that people were made aware that his choice wasn't actually based on, on any kind of racial decision at all. Now, um, I'm not mentioning his actions um, to, to kind of say whether he was right or wrong. Uh, what I am doing, I'm just mentioning what he's done, is to highlight that we live in a society that is so full of judgmentalism. When someone says or does something that doesn't fit in with our society's standards of what is acceptable, then we are so quick to jump to a judgmental position and to con condemn them as being inferior to us in their thinking and beliefs. Um, and I don't know about you, but I find living in this kind of, this kind of world, it's, it's scary and it's, it's a bit exhausting. We're always worried, what do other people think? What are, do other people think that I'm inferior to them? Um, afraid to actually speak honestly and openly because will I be vilified? Because someone might hear what I say and it doesn't match their standards and so they'll condemn me. And it's just, we get tired of being treated as if we're inferior because of our background, where we live, the things we've done in our past, or maybe how much money we earn. In our passage this morning, Jesus has something to say about this kind of judgmentalism. And what he says is a great leveller. It, it reveals something profound about every single one of us, and it puts us all on a level playing field. And then he paints this extravagant, sorry, this picture of extravagant blessing, overflowing blessing for those who hear his words and live them out. And so um, I hope that as we read this passage, as we look at it together, that we'll understand what he's saying and we'll be encouraged by the good news that he's telling us and we'll be transformed in the way that we think and live. I'm going to pray before we go any further because I need God's help. Um, Heavenly Father, I, I stand before you as a sinner amongst sinners. Um, and I ask in your mercy that you'll take what I'm about to say for the next 30 or so minutes and that you would direct our attention and affection towards you and that you'll transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first thing that we read in today's passage is Jesus saying, do not judge. Now, this got me thinking, what does Jesus mean by this word, judge? Well, context is everything when it comes to words, isn't it? Like, depending on the context, a word can have several different meanings. Take, for example, the word wicked, okay? Um, when we describe someone's actions as, as wicked, then it means it's really bad. What they're doing is really, really bad. 
But when we use the word wicked to describe something like chocolate, well, it's a different meaning altogether, isn't it? It's, it's like indulgent and rich and delicious. Or then you could be talking to a surfer, and they might be describing the surf conditions as wicked, and that actually means really good. So it depends on the context, which helps us understand what a word can mean. And it's no different to this word, judge. A common meaning of the word judge is to make judgment calls uh, about something. That is, to use wisdom and experience to decide whether what someone is doing or saying is, is helpful or not. Or to look at something that's happening and, and to make a call on whether it's, it's right or good. And is that what Jesus means here? Is he telling people that they should look at everything that's happening around them and just accept it? It's all good, it's okay. Don't say anything about it. Are we just to accept everything and not question the decisions, actions or beliefs of others? Well, this is a popular way of thinking at the moment, isn't it? That is, um, you have your way of living and you have your beliefs and I have mine. And the way we respect each other and show love to each other is we just accept that we have different ways of living and different beliefs and we live in harmony and we never engage in any kind of conversation that might challenge people's thoughts, actions or beliefs. And so is this what Jesus means when he says, do not judge? Well, I don't think so. Let's turn to Matthew's gospel briefly, if you've got your Bibles there. Can you flick over to um, Matthew chapter 7? Um, as Tom mentioned earlier, what we're reading in Luke 6 is very similar to Matthew's, um, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And this is the parallel passage in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus says the exact same thing here as in Luke chapter 6. He says, do not judge. But now let's skip down a few verses. And in verse 6, Jesus says, in the same passage... He says, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So here Jesus is saying, like, it seems, it's a bit of a weird thing to say, but he's, he's saying, do not give sacred and precious things to dogs or pigs. Now, I don't want to get into the details about the dogs and the pigs and the, and the pearls and precious things, but, but what we can see here is that if if someone's to follow these instructions of Jesus, well, they have to make a judgment call, don't they? Who are the dogs and the pigs that they're not to give precious things to? So in the same passage where Jesus says, do not judge, it seems like he's giving um, them permission that they have to make judgment calls at some point. So I don't think Jesus is just saying, accept everything, accept what everyone says and does. I think he's being a bit more specific there is room in the Christian life for making judgment calls, but that's not what I'm here to talk about this morning, so I'm going to leave that one. Um, but let's look at another common meaning of the word judge, and, and that is to be judgmental. That is, you, you look at someone and you decide that they're inferior to you. Uh, it's about using a set of standards that we've come up with as a way to measure everybody else. And if anyone doesn't meet the grade, then we judge them as failures. We judge them as not being as good as us, and, and they deserve to be condemned in some way. It's, it's an entirely negative concept. It's about building ourselves others, sorry, building ourselves up at the expense of others. It's about keeping the inferior in their place. And at the heart of it is self-righteousness, isn't it? See, there is something right about me, about my standards the things that I observe and treat as important. And if you don't meet that, then you're less than I am. You're inferior. You're undeserving, less worthy, 
unsuccessful, a loser. And this is what Jesus is speaking against here in Luke chapter 6 when he says, do not judge. He is speaking against the self-righteous attitude that would lead people to look at others, measure them against their own set of standards, and then condemn them as inferior. But there's much more going on in this passage in Luke's gospel than Jesus just saying, do not judge, do not condemn. Um, he's, we, we actually have to use the context to understand uh, who he's talking to and what he's talking about, because he's talking to a particular group of people uh, in a particular time in history. And this group of people that had followed him around and that he's teaching, um, they're experiencing a vacuum in good leadership. In Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 9, the, the crowds that followed Jesus around are described as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. They were leaderless. Well, actually, that's not true. They had leaders, but the leadership of the time, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were teaching and demonstrating a brand of religion that while it might have looked good on the outside, it was full of judgmentalism, condemnation, lack of mercy, and it was entirely self-seeking. And here in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is speaking against this false, tokenistic and self-righteous righteous way of life. This attitude of being judgmental and condemning, it was a big problem for the Pharisees. In the lead up to this sermon, Jesus has several telling encounters with the Pharisees um, and teachers of the law. Now, I'm just going to highlight two so we can get a bit of context. So in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32, Jesus attends a great big banquet thrown by Levi, a tax collector, where he, Levi invites other tax collectors to join in. And, and when the Pharisees see that Jesus is at this banquet eating with the tax collectors, they ask this question, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, there's an unspoken question here, isn't there? Maybe the unspoken question in their hearts is, why doesn't Jesus eat with us? Because we're really important. Doesn't he know that, that we're the good ones? You see, the Pharisees looked down on the tax collectors and sinners as being lesser people than themselves. And they looked at themselves as being the ones who deserve to have Jesus' attention. And Jesus exposes their hearts with this response. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. These Pharisees were full of self-righteousness. They were self-righteous people who judged and condemned others anyone who didn't measure up to their standards. The second encounter that I want to highlight is um, in, in chapter 6, at the beginning of, of Luke chapter 6. Jesus sees a man with a shriveled hand. Now, it's the Sabbath day, and the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're, they're watching Jesus really closely to see what he's going to do on the Sabbath with this guy who has a shriveled hand. Is he going to heal the guy and, and therefore break the law? And again, Jesus exposes their hearts by asking them a question. Is it lawful to do good or evil on the, on the Sabbath? Now, the Pharisees would rather see this man continue with a crippled hand than for Jesus to bring life into the situation, just because it's the Sabbath. They care more for observing the, their standards of acceptable behaviour than to love and care for those around them. And when Jesus heals this man... Instead of praising God and saying, wow, that's amazing, life has been brought to this man, they get angry and they start plotting a way to get rid of Jesus. Instead of seeing this healing as evidence of God's blessing on desperate and needy people, 
They judged Jesus as a lawbreaker, a person who doesn't abide by their standards of what is acceptable. And then they plan to get rid of him. You see, they've created their own standards of living and they think that it is by their way of doing things that they're going to be accepted by God. And they judge and they condemn anyone who doesn't meet their self-righteous standard. Jesus also says, like if we go back a little bit in the sermon, it's, kind of, it's hard picking up um, a sermon that Jesus is preaching in the middle um, and you kind of miss a bit of the context. But again, it, back to Luke chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus says, but to you who are listening, I say, he starts with this word, but. Now this word, but, implies that Jesus is saying something in contrast to something else that's already been said or demonstrated. And he says this after announcing woes on various groups of people. If we look elsewhere in Luke's gospel, we see that Jesus proclaims woe to a particular type of person. In Luke 11, Jesus sets forth plainly the hypocrisy and destructiveness of the teaching and way of life of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religion that they proclaimed and demonstrated. They were all about self-promotion, self-righteousness observing their own standards, looking good on the outside, but having hearts that did not love God and that did not care for other people. They were judgmental, condemning and unforgiving. And so when we get to our passage today, we see Jesus using words to describe what these Pharisees are like. From verses 39 to 42, Jesus describes this attitude as blind guides leading blind people into a pit. You see, they're blind because there's a log in their eye that they won't deal with. They think that they're acceptable to God based on their own efforts and meeting their own standards. They're self-righteous. And in practice, they believe that they don't actually need God. See, this is the log that's in their eye that prevents them from being able to help others know God. They actually believe they don't need God. They can't lead other people to God because they don't know God themselves. They're just going to lead people into a pit. And then we get to verses 43 to 45, and we see that there's a problem with their hearts. Their heart is evil, and so the fruit that they produce is evil. It needs to be fixed. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus quotes Isaiah, the prophet, in describing the Pharisees and teachers of the law uh, as a people who honour God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. And because their hearts are wrong, they cannot produce good fruit. Instead, they produce self-righteousness that leads to judgmentalism and condemnation of others. And this is what Jesus is speaking against when he says, do not judge and do not condemn. He's saying, don't be like the Pharisees, full of self-righteousness, full of judgmentalism and condemnation. But this kind of judgmentalism, it wasn't just a problem for a group of people that lived thousands of years ago. I mean, you look around today, it's still a problem for our society, isn't it? This kind of judgmental attitude is just so pervasive. It's everywhere. People are judged and treated as inferior for just about every reason under the sun. Where they live, how much they earn, the clothes they wear, the job they do, the way they raise their children, the way they look, their political preferences, their sexual orientation, their gender, 
their vaccination status, and the list goes on. We are a judgmental society. You only need to spend one minute on any kind of social media, and you'll see that we live in a society that not only practices this judgmentalism, but it encourages others to do the same. But if I'm being really honest, um, then this kind of judgmentalism is a problem for me too. You see, if I'm honest, I see it in every sphere of life that I'm involved in. As um, you heard earlier, I'm a school teacher by trade. And when I think about what we're like as school teachers, we're a pretty judgmental bunch. When new graduates uh, come and they struggle to manage classrooms, um, we judge them as inferior. You know, they're not very good. When they're just young or new to the job and they find it difficult to teach students with challenging behaviours, um, we can judge the well-behaved kids as um, more worthy of our time and attention because they meet our standards of what a worthy person looks like or what a successful person looks like or what a valuable person looks like. We judge parents based on the behaviour of their children. Well, pff, gee, they're obviously bad parents. If only, if only they'd adopt our standards of what is right and acceptable, then their kids would be fine. It's awful, isn't it? I wonder if you've ever felt like you've been judged in that way. And I'm sure, and I hope, that I'm not the only one here this morning who is prone to being judgmental in my thoughts, words and actions. Don't even mention when I get in the car and I can't find a car park at my daughter's school because everyone else is just so bad at parking and they take up all the space. So when Jesus says, do not condemn, do not judge, he's not just speaking to the Pharisees, he's speaking to all of us. And he says these things because there's a lot at stake. It's serious. Look at what Jesus says at the end of verse 38. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, while this could be about the way people treat other people, um, that is, if, if you treat people with a judgmental attitude, then that's how they're going to treat you back. Well, there is an element of truth to that, but I think it's bigger. I actually believe that this is a verse about how God is going to measure us. If we live like a Pharisee, trying to be self-righteous, which then leads to judgment, judgmentalism and condemning of others, then, then God is going to measure us in the same way. One day, every single person, every one of us, is going to have to give an account to God of our actions. And if, like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, we rely on our own standards, on our own level of goodness, then God will judge us according to that. And it just won't stack up. Carefully examine your own heart. I know that for me, if God's going to accept me based on my own words, actions, attitudes, and even thoughts, then I'm in trouble, big trouble. And so instead, Jesus is saying here that we need to look for a different measure one that doesn't rely on our own self-righteousness. Do not judge and you will not be judged means to throw off this attitude of self-righteous behaviour that only leads to judgmentalism and condemnation. Because everyone is the same here. Here's the great leveller. Whatever your background is, whatever's in your past, we just can't stack up before God based on how we've lived. And we need to look for a different measure 
so that we will not be judged by God based on our own attempts to be good enough. So what does this mean for us? Uh, What are we meant to do with it all? Well, Jesus says back in Luke chapter 4 that the reason he came was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And so we must accept that this sermon here in Luke chapter 6 that we've read part of today is about this good news of the kingdom of God. And what Jesus has highlighted in this sermon is the type of behaviour that is acceptable or suitable for people who are going to be a part of this kingdom. And it's a really high call, isn't it? It's huge. It's a call to love extravagantly. It's a call to not be judgmental or condemning of others. It's a call to forgive others when they hurt us. It's a call to give generously to the people around us. This is a high call. And when we get to the last verses in chapter 6, we're met with a bit of a dilemma. Let's read them now, and hopefully you'll be able to feel this dilemma. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. The reference here to flood or rising waters, it's about judgment, specifically the judgment of God, his judgment of what we have done and how we have lived. And the good or bad result in this judgment seems to depend on what we do with the words that Jesus has spoken. And so when Jesus is saying, love others, do not judge, do not condemn, forgive, give generously, is he saying that I just need to be better at this? Is he saying, come on, Tim, get your act together, just do it better? And if that is what gets me into God's kingdom, well, then I'm in trouble because I've not loved others as I should. I have been judgmental of others. I have been condemning in my thoughts and my words towards people. I have not been generous to people in need. And if my failure to obey these words means that God's judgment is going to sweep me away, how is that good news? Surely this is not what Jesus is saying. And thanks be to God that there is another way. There is another measure which we can rely on. Jesus begins this sermon on the plain with these words. He says, Blessed are the poor, because the kingdom of God is theirs. Now, without going into too much detail about the meaning of this word poor, it basically means that you come before God and you admit that you are lacking. You are lacking the ability to live a life that is good enough that would make him show you favour. It is only those who come humbly to God, not trusting their own self-righteousness, but recognising that they're sinners and turning to God and asking for his mercy that will be welcomed into the kingdom of God. To help explain this, let's look at a parable that Jesus tells later in Luke. Um, Turn to Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 9. I love this story because I see myself in it And there is so much hope and joy in this story for us. This is a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. To hear the words of Jesus and put them into practice is to not be a Pharisee. Abandon self-righteousness that leads to judgmentalism. This is not the way to God. To hear the words of Jesus and put them into practice is to be like a tax collector. Humbly admit your sin and that you need God's mercy. And how great is the mercy of God. Now, Jesus' original hearers um, would not have understood the full picture um, because Jesus had not yet died and he'd not yet risen back to life. But we, in the here and now, we do have the full picture. Jesus lived the perfect life that we could not. He achieved the measure that would grant access to the kingdom of God, a measure that we can't meet for ourselves. Jesus died the death that our sin deserved. He took God's judgment for all of our sin upon himself. He paid the penalty in full and rose again to new life. For those that humbly fall at his feet and ask for mercy, he grants them forgiveness. As we give up on self-righteousness and rely on what Jesus has done for us, we receive mercy from God. Jesus gives us his righteousness so that we can be a part of his kingdom. And that is good news. And all that's required of us is to turn around from self-reliance and admit that we need him. To hear the words of Jesus and put them into action is to humbly accept what Jesus has done for us in our desperate need and follow him. To call Jesus Lord is to humbly accept his assessment of us as sinners and cast ourselves on his abundant mercy. But you might be asking, well, what about the commands that Jesus has made here to love our enemies, to not judge, to not condemn, to forgive, to give generously? What about those commands? Where do they fit in? Do they still count? Well, absolutely they do. Absolutely they do. This way of living is expected from those who claim to follow Jesus. To call Jesus Lord is to accept that what he says is right and good. To accept his commands as right and good. To call Jesus Lord is to demonstrate this acceptance by obeying the good commands that he gives us. But here is the kicker. Here is the glorious kicker. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Again, this is Jesus speaking. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Now, you could read this in the negative that Jesus is talking about. If, if you follow a Pharisee, the best you can hope to be is a self-righteous Pharisee. But if we take it in the positive, it's glorious. If we humbly turn to Jesus and ask for his mercy and choose his way of being right with God instead of relying on our own attempts to be good enough, he fixes our heart. He'll train us. He'll transform us and make us like him. 
He pours his spirit into us and he equips us and moves us to live the sorts of lives that are suitable for people who belong to his kingdom. See, this kingdom living of extravagant love, non-judgmentalism, non-condemning, forgiving of others and being generous, it's not a means of getting into the kingdom, but it's a result of entering the kingdom. And Jesus is with us all the way, prompting us by his Holy Spirit to obey his commands, transforming us into his likeness. Can you see the freedom that we have as followers of Jesus? We are free to love extravagantly because we've been loved extravagantly. We are free from judgmentalism because we know that everyone is on the same level when it comes to God. We are all equally in desperate need of the forgiveness that Jesus offers. We are free not to condemn others because we have not been condemned. We are free from living by the self-righteous standards of this world because our obedience is not about being good enough, but it's about showing how good Jesus is. We're free to give generously because we have been given overflowing blessings from God in Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect in this life. Every single day, we're on our knees before Jesus, asking for his mercy because we make mistakes. But what it does mean is that we're free to live lives that honour God and make much of the mercy that he's shown us in Christ. And now that is good news. Let that sink in. Let it soak deep into your soul and bring you joy. Jesus rescues us from judgment and condemnation. And he's with us every step of the way, training us by his spirit, fixing our hearts, transforming us so that we can bear the fruit that is appropriate for people living in his kingdom. Abundant, overflowing blessings are ours in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he has done everything that needs to be done for us to be a part of your kingdom. By your spirit, please work in us and through us and move us and transform us to be more like him. For your name's sake. Amen.